Dankeschön. Right, so we are in Mark 3 today. Uh, we're talking about, ah, thanks Ben, that's super, friends and foes. Um, has anyone been watching Traitors on BBC? Oh my goodness. It's basically, for those of you not watching it, it's a bit like Mafia. If anyone's ever been to house parties and played Mafia, you have a team of people during the day. They're working as a team together to uh, do challenges to um, increase the pot of money. Every evening, they have a round table where they vote off the people that they think are the traitors. And then every night, the traitors murder someone out of the game. That, yeah, there's no actual bloodshed, just to be clear. It's just lots of accusations, and uh, it's very tense. And nobody knows who the foes are. Everyone thinks they're friends, but they're suspicious. And it was, oh, but the ending, I actually cried. It was so beautiful. It was so long. Ben's shaking. <laughs> Ben's shaking his head at my ability to cry. At Anyway. So we are talking about friends and foes. And in our passage today, Jesus is really clear about who his friends are and who his foe is. He's not, he's not having to guess. He's saying it really explicitly. Now, I could... Um, there's a lot in this passage. And um, a lot of it I'm quite excited about. Um, so I'm just going to try and be quite disciplined and just work through the passage unpack it a little bit. I'm going to say what I see. Um, but um, do forgive me if I get, get a bit overexcited. But today what I'd like to say is that Jesus's family fight his foe. Okay, Today's passage, Jesus says who his family is and he says who his foe is. And my challenge for us today is that actually our calling is to fight the foe. My printer thing Everything's printed out. I've got loads of bits of paper, so excuse me when I just <laughs> try and throw them to the ground. So let's start. Mark 3, uh, verse 7. Our first little section. Let's see if I can. Great. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, Apologies. And the regions across the Jordan, around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowds, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So just to remind you, Jesus has just had a confrontation about Sabbath and about fasting. And he's trying to withdraw with his disciples to maybe catch his breath um, after the Pharisees have been accusing him. And you'll see that pattern a lot in Mark. There'll be healing and mission, confrontation, and then he will withdraw back a bit. But he can't withdraw, can he? He can't withdraw. You can almost feel the pressure. This is a really physical gospel. When I read it, it's like boom, boom, boom. And Jesus is getting squeezed from all sides. These people are coming and trying to get him. They're trying to reach out for the healing, hear about the kingdom. Um, 
there's pressure, there's desperation from these people. Um, Jesus is out and about, though, isn't he? He is doing his Father's work. He is declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Even though he might want to withdraw and have some chill-out time with his disciples, the people are there, and we know his heart of compassion is moved, and so he's healing and he's declaring the kingdom of God. Next up, chapter, uh, verse 13. Jesus went up a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name, this is from Ron, Boanerges, sorry, my Greek is not very good, <laughs> which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So Jesus goes up the mountain and calls his 12. Just like Moses goes up the mountain and he's got his 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Only this is not tribes, is it? This is not brothers. These are people who are not natural partners. But Jesus is publicly stating his formation of a community um, of the kingdom of God. He's trying to show, here are some 12 I'm pulling together to demonstrate what God's rule and reign is meant to be. In amongst all the oppression and all the opposition, Jesus is trying to do something constructive and show what this kingdom looks like. Now, for those of you who don't know, my training is in, no, not my training. Well, yes, my training. My training and my background is training people for church planting and for mission. And Jesus has totally nailed this. This is the best training environment. Get 12 people together who would not normally be in the room together, let alone friends. Uh, give them authority to preach and drive out demons. Now, interestingly, he doesn't send them out until chapter 6. So there's a little period here where they've got authority, but they're probably going to be doing that kind of driving out demons and mini preaching under his careful view, under a kind of close training environment. This would have been challenging. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever done YWAM, but it's like you're on top of each other 24-7. Your rough edges get turned out really quickly. They would have been learning from each other, trying and failing the best and the worst coming out. But then they would also be learning in the context of Jesus' grace and his compassion and his ability to love them in spite of it all. So, Jesus has been on a lake. He's been up a mountain. Now they get to a house to have some food, but they're too squeezed even to do that. So we're in verse 20 now. Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Then the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub. 
Beelzebub, thank you. By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven all their sins and all the blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, but is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Then Jesus' mother and brother arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers? He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So, Jesus has been up a lake. Up a lake. (laughs) He's been up a mountain. He's been on a lake. (laughs) And now they're trying to have some food in the house, and they can't even do that. And his family come to oppose him in uh, verse 21. Now here, the Greek for his family, it's not like his nuclear family. This would have been those broadly belonging to him, so distant relatives, distant cousins. They're outside. They're not hearing what he is about. Then the authorities oppose him, accusing him of being possessed. Now, if it's worked, you'll see I've slightly edited it so it's all stepped in. Because it's intentional. There's the family. Then there's the authorities. Then Jesus teaches. Then there's a bit about the authorities. And there's a bit more about family. There's a technical word for that. And I can't remember what it is. But it's the main point of what this passage is about. Is always in the middle. It's always in the middle of the sandwich. So Jesus is being opposed by his family. He's being opposed by the authorities. But then he speaks in a parable to teach who is truly opposing him, his true foe, Satan. Mark is making it clear, as is Jesus, that his family and the authorities have got it wrong. Jesus is focused on the true opposition, the true battle, which is with Satan himself. He is focused on binding up that strong man and plundering his house. And what what does Jesus mean by binding up the strong man? What on earth is he trying to say? It's what he's been doing all day. He has been binding up the demons, sending them out. He's been releasing the captives. His plunder is getting from the strong man's house those who have been captive to the enemy in health, in body, in heart, and thought, and mind. Mark's gospel is this action-packed narrative, isn't it? One thing after another, after another, after another. And here we see the kingdom of God forcefully advancing against the dominion of darkness. Jesus is defining his foe here. 
But he's also defining his family, isn't he? Now, this family, as he says, are those who are sat around him. And the people first sat around him that we know of are the disciples. Now, we know these are some seriously different characters, don't we? Going back to our list of 12, we don't know loads about them, but what we do know is that they are hotheads, they are power-hungry, there's, there's a mystic in there, John, he's quite mystical, isn't he? Got men of action, we've got enemy collaborators, we've got political zealots, and some fishermen. And by becoming a pupil of Rabbi Jesus, they are thrown together to be transformed. And what a statement. People would have looked at this 12 group of disciples. And if you wanted to be a great rabbi, you chose great students. And everyone would have been like, what are you doing, Jesus? They're a, they're a bit weird. That's a strange collection. But Jesus is not all about being a great rabbi. He's about demonstrating in every way what the kingdom looks like. Yes, it does look like demons fleeing. It does look like people being healed. But I think the greatest understated miracle of the New Testament is at the end of Jesus' life and ministry, 11 of these guys were still speaking to each other. I mean, seriously, that's hard work. This is not an easy environment that they were in. They were under loads of pressure. They'd given everything up. And yet they are transformed and discipled in a way that demonstrated something of the kingdom of God. Jesus is about embracing those who are lost and lonely, those who thought they knew it all, and those who didn't feel like they knew anything at all. Those who loved him, those who doubted him, those who betrayed him. And we see from our passage today that Jesus opens the invite to his family, to his inner circle, to anyone who is with him and about his father's work. Not those outside opposing him. So in this moment in the gospel, as the pressure is beginning to mount, Jesus is doing three things, isn't he? He's demonstrating his mission. He's defining his family. And he's defining his foe. And what's really clear is that Jesus' family is involved in fighting his foe. Jesus' family is involved in binding up that strong man. Now, just be clear, it's a slight side point, I don't think Jesus is anti-family. You know, he's just rejecting his mother and his brothers. They're the big guns. You know when they come to tell you off, you're in real trouble. Your mother's here. Like, soon all the names will be coming out. And Elizabeth Hazel Chamberlain, get in here. Although actually it was Watson when I was being told off like that. Anyway, never mind. So I don't think Jesus is anti-family by saying, no, mum, I'm not coming. I'm sorry. I'm not listening. He's not anti-family. We know he's come to fulfill the law and the only, um, only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise is honour your mother and father that it may go well with you. So we know he's about fulfilling that. Jesus is pro-family, but he is challenging that very tribal, familial structure of the day 
where your family determined where you lived, what you did, probably who you married, and who you uh, were connected and associated with. And it said, who's out and who's in? Jesus is saying, well, if you want to, you're all in. The kingdom of God is wider and bigger than those little tribes. But he's also, Mark is writing in a context where people had sacrificed a lot to follow Jesus. He's reassuring those, as he does in chapter 10, that those who have given up family for the kingdom will receive a hundredfold. Because people had, hadn't they? They'd given up families, houses, jobs to follow Jesus, and he's reassuring them. The family of the kingdom of God is open to all. And we're invited into that, aren't we? As Martin said at the beginning, we're all invited to be fishers of men and women. And for those of us who have heard the invite to come and follow me, we quickly realize we don't and we can't do it by ourselves. We do it with this bunch of weirdos. Oh, there I am again, calling you all weird. It's all right. If Dennis says it's okay, then I, I figure it's all right. You really can't read scriptures without seeing that the New Testament pattern of faith is involving one another. Paul is constantly saying, one another, one another, one another. In fact, my leaving gift from my previous church was a set of spurs. You know, spurs that you put on your heel, like old spurs, because apparently I spurred one another onto love and good deeds. But these spurs are like... And then the, I mean, there was obviously some bloodshed. <laughs> there was obviously sparing people on a bit too hard. Anyway, that's another story. I love, I love community, okay? I believe so much that it has been God's conduit of grace for me in my spiritual walk. It's fundamental. I have almost a sacramental view of community and that I believe something of the Holy Spirit is imparted in and through community. I could talk about it for hours, so um, I hope you're comfy. <laughs> no. This was the first time, though, while I was thinking about community, that I'd really linked the binding of the strong man with, with family with being called. I don't think it's a great leap. In the passage, Jesus says, let's bind the strong man. I'm binding the strong man. Satan is my foe. And then two sentences later, he says, whoever is doing God's work is in my family. Jesus' family is involved in fighting the foe. So what is it about family? about Christian community that binds the strong man. Because I don't see us walking around with ropes a lot. I don't see us, you know, being particularly militant in what we're doing. Well, firstly, I think we're all about our father's work, aren't we? In very different ways, in different contexts. We don't all have the same job. We do all have the same boss. But more than that, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love each other. And as I said, one of the unspoken miracles of the Gospels is that the 11 disciples are still loving each other together by the time Pentecost comes along. Being a community together for each other and for whoever might walk through our doors 
into our events, into our homes, we get the chance to show people what the kingdom looks like. It's patient, it's kind, it's faithful, it doesn't give up, it always trusts, always hopes. Family, in the kind of nuclear sense of the word, should be a launch pad for life, shouldn't it? It should be where children are trained up, taught how to live effective lives. But it's a testing ground as well, where they test boundaries and work out responsibility and duty and discover their role in life. And so in church. But family is also a place of comfort, hopefully, of reassurance, of love, of trust, where the struggles of the day are easier because we're sharing them with others. And so, hopefully, with church. Family is also a place of healing, of transformation, of being changed, of coming home and growing up. And so, hopefully, with church. But unfortunately, family is also full of people like me and you lot. People who are forgetful, proud, a bit mean, a bit small-minded sometimes, harried, hurried, careless. So yes, it, it does hurt, doesn't it? It really can hurt. And my experience is that forgiveness, patience, grace are needed on a daily basis, and that's before you've even walked out your front door. When church community is great, it is amazing. And when it's bad, it's toxic. So... I'm not trying to paint some naive, idealistic picture here. We've all got the scars to prove that that's not what happens. But Jesus is saying there is a battle. Jesus is saying there is a strong man to bind. There are captives to free. There is plunder to be had. And the plunder is liberated sons and daughters of God. So Jesus is saying there is a battle. But he also said to Peter... On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? The gates of hell are going to try, but they're not going to overcome. Galatians 6 says, says, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap the reward if we don't give up. Now I think you'll all agree with me, there is a battle over families. In our current climate, there is a battle over church family as well. We know from watching things like traitors that community is very easy to form. You give people a shared goal, they will suddenly become the best of friends with each other. I was really shocked. I don't know about you guys, Richard, because you've watched it. The, the level of presumed knowledge and intimacy with each other after two days of knowing total strangers. Oh, I love you. Big hugs. Big hugs. People don't know me after a year. You guys have been together for only a day. People can do community. We know as humans we are naturally built to connect with each other. But true community, community that is focused around Jesus, community that is self Less. Giving, loving, takes time, takes energy. I remember in my um, previous church, I was, I was in a really good community. But it was five years, I realised, 
before I let my guard drop. And by letting it drop, I mean it really dropped. I had a bit of a bit of a breakdown, to be honest. But it was because after five years, I felt like I could trust these people to hold me as Jesus squished me back together again, glued me back together. And so we know church family is a precious thing where precious treasures can be found and amazing things can happen. But we also know it's a battle. Now at the start, I spoke about pressure building towards Jesus throughout his ministry. And we know it culminates in the cross. We know that Jesus has bound the strong man. We know he has won the battle. But that doesn't mean there isn't pressure for us to overcome here and now, whether in our nuclear families or in our wider church family. So there is pressure for us to overcome, to pray through, to love through as a family, as a community. And I hadn't realised there was a prayer, a citywide prayer thing happening this week. It's almost like someone knew what was going on. (laughs) So I just really want to encourage you guys that actually what we have in church community, you guys, you know how to do it. I feel like I'm teaching my grand to suck eggs here. You guys know how to do this, as my family and I have experienced in the last year. But there is a battle. So let's persevere in prayer. I also think there are three things. I mean, there's so many things that community needs, isn't there? There's so many things that I could say, this is what we should do for community. But here are my three, and they all start with H. Oh, yeah. I should, I should be a Methodist. <laughs> right, firstly, be honest with each other. Um, in traitors, they were not being honest with each other. And the suspicion, that root of suspicion gets in and it is awful. Be honest with each other. If someone asks you how you are, if it's an appropriate moment and a safe context, then be open about your life. Say what's going on. Likewise, if you see something in someone's life, that you're not entirely sure is compatible with what scripture says, be honest. But be humble. Come on, people. I want to speak the truth in love. Yes, we do. But maybe ask a question first. Why did I see you at 11 o'clock at night walking down the high street with a bottle of gin? (gasps) Maybe context is helpful. Ask a question. Don't assume to understand why people are doing what you're seeing. And if someone has had the courage to ask you a difficult question and to care for your spiritual walk in such a way, then um, try not to be offended. But be humble and think, okay, they are asking me in love. That's hard. I, I, I recognize that is a hard ask. And secondly, so we're being honest, we're being humble. Be hospitable, which actually you guys are all quite good at, really. Allow others into your life, into your home. It doesn't need to be fancy, it doesn't need to be over the top, but share life with those around you because there are treasures to be had. And the more we're sharing life together, the stronger our connections are. The more we, ba- we bind the strong man. So I'm going to pray and then hand over to... Hannah. Jesus, I thank you so much that you, you knew who you, your family are. You know who your family are. And that you say 
whoever is about your father's work is your family. I thank you you have invited us into that. I thank you that you know who your foe is, that you're not under any illusions. I thank you that you have bound the strong man, that Satan is under your foot. But Lord, we still know that there is oppression, we still know there is pressure and there is difficulty to brewing in your amazing kingdom. And so, Father, I pray for each and every one of us here that we would be that ragtag community of disciples who are loving each other, who are caring for each other and caring for those around us, that we are seeing the captives freed through love. We are seeing the blind receive their sight through the revelation of your great love in and through us, Lord Jesus. Help us, I pray, as we try and do that. Help us to be humble. Help us to be honest. Help us to be hospitable, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need your help, and I pray that you would. Amen. Thank you so much, Anna. There was so much in there to stimulate our thinking to... Whoops. <laughs>